Hey fellow brain pickers, how would you like to get featured as a guest on multiple podcast shows like this one and get massive exposure? Getfeatured.media will get you featured on targeted shows. They'll design a custom bio page, pitch you to the hosts, schedule a time, prepare you for the shows and promote you so you get even more brand exposure. Head over to getfeatured.media to get major publicity for your brand. Welcome to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast, where successful entrepreneurs get their brains picked so you can apply mindset tricks and game-changing tactics that will help you become unstoppable. Now, here's your host, Daniel Geffen. Hi, fellow brain pickers, and welcome to episode 72 of Can I Pick Your Brain? Today, I'm excited to bring to you a serial entrepreneur that rose from near bankruptcy to become the CEO of a billion-dollar company. Mark Organ is today the founder and CEO of Influitive, a powerful platform that could help you gain massive increases in referrals, create better communications with your clients, have immediate access to references, get your content on steroids, and much more. Mark first revolutionized B2B marketing as the founding CEO of Eloqua, the world leader in marketing automation software, which was acquired by Oracle for a whopping $871 million. Now, all this success would get to most people's head, but beyond this wildly successful businessman is a charming, curious, humble, authentic, passionate, and genuinely caring human being. I'm truly honored to introduce to you this quietly unassuming leader, Mark Organ. Mark, welcome to the show, and thanks for letting me pick your brain. Uh, Daniel, it's uh, such a pleasure and honor to be here. Thank you. The pleasure is all mine. Uh, Mark and we were just speaking before so hopefully we might do business together which is which is really exciting Um, but before we get to your crazy story of going from almost bankrupt to selling your company for close to a billion dollars can you tell us a little bit about your background what what was it like growing up yeah so um, and thanks for that I don't I don't get into uh, my early background very much so uh, I grew up in um, uh, in a you know suburban uh, city in in uh, Canada uh, mm-hmm. near Toronto, um, my father was also a serial entrepreneur, um, and my my mom was a homemaker. And uh, there were a lot of um, sort of booms and busts in our household. I mean, <laughs> in one one year we're we're in the uh, you know we're at the the country club eating uh, cocktail shrimp, and the next uh, next year uh, <laughs> my father's yelling at my mom every time she buys anything oh, on, 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 her, on her visa. So, um, so that was, that's really what I remember. I remember a lot of these, these ups and downs uh, from my father's uh, numerous entrepreneurial ventures that, <laughs> that he did. Uh, so, you know, it's interesting that even though um, my father is an entrepreneur and eventually my mom became an entrepreneur as well, and I come from a long line of entrepreneurs, uh, my parents actually did not want me to be an entrepreneur. Uh, they, because yeah, well, they really equated entrepreneurship with, with hardship, right? They, with the difficulty in making payroll, especially when the economy was soft, uh, and, and the challenges that, that we had, uh, growing up. But, um, I just got bitten by the bug and (laughs) what I resolved to do is just be a better entrepreneur. (laughs) Have they changed, have they changed their mind on that now? Um, I think they finally have. I mean, even finally? Until, I think even even a few years ago, they used to ask my wife, you know, do you do you think Marky can get into medical school? Oh, I mean, stop is it! it. Too, Are you joking? Is it too late? <laughs> oh my goodness me! Uh, well, look, it's it's hard. You have you know, growing growing up Jewish, that's you know, that's the that's the apex is to be a doctor. So, yep, I know all uh, about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, so yeah. So I did uh, in university. I did study life sciences, and and um, I thought I'd try to please my parents and and become a doctor. And and um, you know, I just kept getting back into entrepreneurial ventures of my own that I was doing in university, including um, including house painting, including custom software. Where I used to go into the office towers of Toronto and. Mm-hmm. And start at the top and literally knock on doors and ask them if they needed any software built. Uh, it was probably the only door-to-door software 
um, <laughs> developers ever, um, which I, I learned from when I was painting houses. Um, I learned all about door-to-door sales. It's actually where I, I developed a lot of uh, grit um, and perseverance is through knocking on doors in, in the rain. Uh, because when it's raining, you get a lot more sympathy and it's a lot easier to sell painting services. Um, oh, that's a good tip. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where, that's where I learned that. Um, but, uh, you know, so ultimately I kept going, going back to do that. Um, but uh, I also got fascinated with scientific research, uh, which is another sort of thread that's been uh, going through my life is, is in researching things. And mm. there's actually a lot in common between entrepreneurship um, and scientific research. Uh, I did end up going to do a PhD in neuroscience. I, I aborted it about halfway through as I was pretty miserable there. Hmm. Um, but, but neuroscience back in the late 90s was this just, oh, it was the most exciting place. I mean, this was, <laughs> we're, we're trying to discover the, the secrets of the brain and you had... Oh, man. Uh, oh, it was amazing. You're going you you know, to love, I did an episode with the smartest man alive. His name is Walter O'Brien. Uh, there's actually a TV show based on his life story called Scorpion, um, and his IQ is 197. And my interview with him was so fascinating because, first of all, he—I don't know if you know—but he hacked into NASA when he was 13 years old from his bedroom. Um, yeah, I heard the story. Yeah, you heard the story. Yeah. But the crazy thing um, is, he talked yeah. about planning to live forever through the uh, neuroscience, which is insane. Uh, that yeah, it's it's insane, but I can see how that will be possible in the next fifty to seventy years. But wow, uh, probably probably not on probably not exactly on our our topic. But yeah, one of the things that I did get what got me so interested in neuroscience mm. is the idea of consciousness um, and how you can um, and now you there's actually simulations where you have some emergent uh, consciousness happening from neural networks. But anyway, that's what, that's what got me interested in it. I love the um, intellectual ferment of having computer scientists, psychologists, um, you know, biologists of all types, you know, coming together to understand cognition was, was pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, working with rats every day, and I became quite violently allergic to rats. Oh, my goodness, <laughs> um, I tra- so I trained undergrads to do um, <laughs> to do uh, brain surgery on these things, uh, and I got away with uh, a master's degree. And I went back um, I went back to Toronto to um, to basically get into uh, management consulting, uh, which uh, some people at the universities at said would be a good fit for me. And from from there, I uh, I founded uh, Eloqua right out of the Bain and Company offices in Toronto, uh, and that's really how I got my um, my start in sort of disruptive entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. um, which I do see as, as quite different from the type of sort of hard scrabble, buy low, sell high entrepreneurship that I did when I was in university and the kind of stuff that my father, uh, my father has done. Hmm. Apologies, by the way, for miss, uh, <clears throat> uh, I said Eloqua in the intro and it's, it's Eloqua, right? Yeah. <laughs> everyone says Eloqua. Yeah. That's one of the things I learned hard. The hard way when I when I started in Fluidev, I wanted to build a company's name that could not be mispronounced. Um, no, you just harder, did <laughs> harder, harder to mispronounce. Um, but yeah, thanks. That's that's okay. You can call it a local if you want. Uh, most people seem to. So what what did you uh, what inspired you to I guess start that company and what did it do exactly? Um, so. Eloqua was started from some of the experiences myself and my, my co-founders at Eloqua um, that uh, we had when we were working at Bain and Company. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was doing quite a bit of work in sales effectiveness, and the client asked, you know, what is it that makes sales reps successful? We want to understand because the turnover rate was really high. Mm. Um, they were losing a lot of reps. And said, so what, what do we need to do in order to hire better reps and hold on to them so that they're more successful. Yep. Uh, so I went to study that. And what I found was quite shocking to our client and even to the partner on our case who made me redo my work over and over again. <laughs> and that was that it wasn't the training that reps had or where they came from that made them successful. It was just merely a matter of uh, who had better quality leads. And today that seems kind of obvious and trite but back in back then it was actually quite 
uh, shocking. And in fact, the, num- the, the offices that were breaking all the rules, so you had some, some of these offices at the customer that, that were um, doing their own, had their own lead generation specialists, where typically at the time, sales reps would, would call, you know, cold call, you know, their own uh, prospects. That was, yeah. that was very standard. Um, and so we're breaking a number of, of rules, but those were actually the offices that were most productive. And so, you know, what I took out of that experience is, well, number one, sales rep time is incredibly valuable. And the longer you hold on to reps, um, sales reps, you know, their, their productivity really starts to skyrocket. So you really want to hold on to your sales reps for a long time. And the second thing is the way to make them most productive is by generating high quality leads. And thirdly, what we learned was the best leads at the time were available on this thing called the internet, which was pretty new at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but that you know, email and and um, email was a great way to nurture people, and the web was was a great way to find people. Um, so, really, out of that, I just said, well, if all we do is just find a way to get higher quality leads to salespeople, and we leverage the internet, we probably have a business there somewhere. Um, so that is actually where the genesis of Eloqua came from. Mm-hmm. And so literally the first product we had was a manifestation of that idea where we created this uh, chat tool to um, connect quality prospects on a website with salespeople. Um, that product didn't take off. Okay. And it didn't take off because um, sales reps didn't really want to chat with random people on, on, on websites that much. So we said, well, um, why don't we why don't we create uh, a way to drive more traffic to these websites and and maybe then they'll ha- there'll be more qualified people to chat hmm. with them. So we built an email engine, we bolted that onto our chat engine, and then what we found was was really interesting, uh, and I think this is the importance of having a, a prepared mind, is that uh, what we found is that sales reps didn't really want to chat with prospects on a website, but they did really like knowing who was there and what they were looking at. Uh, and then they could follow up later by phone. So the, when you bolted together and um, you know an email engine with a with a real time sort of tracking tool, which is to chat on a website, you need to be able to track what they're doing. Hmm. You put those two together, and you, we could literally track people by name as they wandered around a website and what products they looked at. Hmm. So a, a sales rep could then prioritize in order who it is that they would follow up with, and and that was our that was a big hit. So. Um, so it's interesting. We ended up not really doing that much for salespeople. We ended up building a tool then more for marketers. Um, but that's really the humble origins of what is now a more than $10 billion industry Whoa. in terms of marketing. Wow. Yeah, if you take a look at um, the market caps of all the players uh, that are in the space and the service providers, more than $10 billion. Mm. But it really started as, a, as, a, as an accident. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, you know, I think that's the importance of having a hypothesis-driven approach, which is really what I learned from being a medical researcher, uh, is learning how to start by having a hypothesis. And basically, we're just making, trying to make discoveries. Right? You're, in this case, we're trying to figure out what is the model by which sales reps want to interact with prospects online. It turns out that chat wasn't it, but uh, this, this sort of follow-up um, email and phone follow-up was the right way. Um, and, uh, we also use that in order to completely change the target market we're going after. I was first focused on finance, insurance, and real estate. Cause that's what I focused on at Bain. Those are the clients I had. turns out that, uh, business to business technologies was a much better, much better sector. Hmm. Um, what's incredible is that you, you, you ended up selling it for $871 million, which is a very hefty sum. But at one point you were less than a week away from filing for bankruptcy? I mean, what went wrong and, and how did you climb out of that situation? Oh, yeah, this is a great story. Yeah, so we, we actually almost went bankrupt about uh, four times. Um, <laughs> four so, times? Yeah, oh, goodness. it was really, yeah, that was, it was tough, tough going. I mean, I, you know, I was the oldest person in the company there at 25 when I founded it. So it was a really wow. young company. None of us had really any idea what we were doing. Um, what, what, we, what we did know, though, is well, there's a few things we had. First of all, we had, I think, a, a good hypothesis-driven approach that, that um, myself, my co-founder, Steve Woods, we, we learned at, at Bain and what I also had previously done when I was doing um, neuroscience research. Um, and we had a team of young people that, you know, this was our chance, right? This was our this is our opportunity to, to build something for ourselves, like to mm. learn and to grow. 
Um, so, so we that's that's what we had, and that, that was that turns out to be a lot. Um, in terms of what, in terms of what saved the company, um, you know, it's interesting. You you had a you had a guest on your show uh, not long ago named Vern Harnish. Yeah. And um, what's interesting is, uh, so I was about I don't know four months away from bankruptcy, and we we, we went through our last lifeline that we were going to get from our board. And I went to um, one of Varn, uh, Vern Harnish's uh, Gazelle's um, sort of um, members. Yeah, you know, his yeah his one of one of his uh, his events, mm-hmm. and he talked about a great entrepreneur named Wayne Huizenga, who's one of the only guys who's ever taken three companies public for more than a billion dollars. And uh, Wayne had a very uh, simple formula for building a billion-dollar company. Um, hard to execute, simple to describe. Mm-hmm. And that is identify what is your biggest cost, uh, or the industry's biggest cost and your biggest cost, and figure out a way to squash that down to nothing. Hmm. Um, and if you, can, if you can do that, you're going to win. So, yeah, <laughs> again, easy to describe, you yeah. know, not easy to, easy to do. Right. So I was really excited about that, and I went to my executive team and said, Hey guys, what is our biggest cost? And we went through it, and you know, I mean, yeah, there's the trite answer. Well, people are our biggest cost, but I mean, when you really drive deeper into it, the biggest cost that we had was in educating our customers about our technology. So our technology at the time was very um, unusual. It was mm-hmm. it was novel. It, yeah. Um, it required a lot of um, you know a lot of education for the customer. So in order for them to, to buy in. So we'd have a lot of these sales processes that were taking you know, months and months to close. And when you're almost out of cash, you don't have months and months to close. You need to close deals right away. So uh, we said, okay, well, if that's our biggest cost, how do we take that down to close to nothing? And it's like, well, why don't we find customers that are already educated? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah. right, that sounds like a good idea. Well, who's already educated? Well, it turns out that we had a competitor at the time that had raised something like $50 million uh, and had already won a number of the really marquee accounts uh, mm. to, to be one that already were pre-educated. So we said, let's just focus all the energy that we have on winning those customers. So you and basically take them from your competitor. Take them from their competitor. That, that was mm. a crazy idea. So mm-hmm. look, at the time, we were, four, we were 14 people. We had no money. Uh, we were all in our young 20s. We didn't know anything about anything. And we were going to take on this company, which looked incredibly successful, mm. had raised $50 million. Wow. Uh, Goodness and gracious. And so, so my team was not on board. They said, this is madness. And they said, well, <laughs> what, cho- what choice do we have? We're out of business for four months. Like, why don't, let's go out in a blaze of glory. That's crazy. Um, <laughs> And so, uh, and so, and that was what we did. It's probably the, the most fun I think I've ever had in business. Really? I mean, having an entire company just focused on one thing, which are take, which are you know taking these sort of twenty odd customers that that this other um, company had. And um, so it was only twenty customers. It's twenty, twenty odd of sort of the, the the really good ones that we were really focused what on. What was the but, value yeah, of I mean, those twenty? Oh, probably not more than a million dollars a year. But at the time, that would be a, a because be enough. we were. Yeah. It would be enough. Um, we had a very low cost position. We weren't paying ourselves much at all. In fact, right. uh, many of us had gone without pay for for months and months. Hmm. Uh, so, for us to get a million dollars a year at the time was uh, would have been enough to mm-hmm. have been profitable and. How do you, uh, that, how do you do that though? If you don't have money to market to them, how do you go about taking them from from the, you know from the competitor? Yeah, I mean this is the power of focus. So we did have one thing, which is our product was a little bit better than the competitor's product. Right. Um, so it, it had some features that the other one didn't, um, and it's just the the power of um, focusing on nothing other than you know, those customers. And so the engineering department, for example, would work on features that really these other companies really want. Uh, the entire marketing and sales effort, which was largely me and a couple of sales reps, <laughs> right. um, you know, were just focused on, you know, getting into, into, into these um, sort of companies. Uh, and we had our one big break when we, uh, we found that there was, we, uh, one day I, I saw this press release where our competitor was crowing about winning uh, a customer uh, named Manitoba Telecom. So, hmm. again, we're a Canadian company. 
Uh, and I was just furious. I mean, Manitoba is like practically in our backyard. You, can, you don't get any more Canadian in Manitoba. Um, and so I wrote this email to the people that were listed in the, the press release. And I said, look, I know you're clearly happy with this competitor because you're in this press release. But here's what I can do better, faster, and cheaper for you. And look, you're right in my backyard. And we will do just about anything to make you super successful. Wow. Plus, we've got these other features you have. And as it turns out, they weren't actually that happy. The, the, the program has been quite delayed, and, and customer service wasn't very good, and a bunch of other things. So they said, why don't, you, why don't you fly out here? It's February. Why don't you fly out here to Winnipeg? And I don't know if you know anything about Winnipeg in February, but it's, <laughs> it's like 35 below. No, I don't. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been as cold in my life. But anyway, we flew out there to downtown Winnipeg in, in the middle of winter, um, and we showed them a demonstration, and they loved it. And within um, a couple of weeks, I actually became a customer. And we were about four days from bankruptcy at that point. Um, so we, huh. we got our first lifeline. But, the, but after winning that, you know, then we could go after other companies and said, look, you know, this, other com- this other company here, so Manitoba Telecom was unhappy, and now they're delighted because they love our product. Why don't you at least, why don't you at least take a look? Hmm. And and so we had our second big break, and that was with a division of General Electric um, called Global Exchange Services. And uh, so this would have been, you know, if we won this particular account, it's a very it was a very big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could have got profitable just just on that. And um, so we sent these folks a a message saying, you know, we'd love to meet. And they say, you know, I'm sorry, it's too late. You know, we've already selected another vendor. And, uh, uh, and we said, well, is there anything that we would be able to do to ever change your mind? And they wrote back and say, well, if you're able to do, you know, these three or four things, mm-hmm. then, then, you know, we, we might be able to at least take a deeper look at your product. So literally our, our team worked all weekend, didn't sleep. I mean, just slept under their desks. No um, way. And wow. This is this is, uh, actually, this is a lot of entrepreneurial passion, frankly, I'm missing. I, mi- I miss these days. It's incredible. Yeah, where we do the, you know, where you can go and work all weekend. And, you know, now, <laughs> I, I'm, now I'm married, I have children. It's like not as easy, not as easy to do that. But, right. but we did. And, um, and uh, they were really excited. And then on September 11th, 2001, uh, we were ready to show them our big demo. And, of course, you know what oh, happened in September 11th. Right, oh. right in literally right in the middle of the demo, they, the the other side went quiet and said, um, uh, "Guys, we have to we have to stop this. Uh, we something happened." Oh my gosh! Um, wow. Yeah, so it's like, wow, this couldn't get any worse. Jeez. But um, anyway, oh, we, uh, we we managed to eventually show them our uh, our wares, and they invited us down to Gaithersburg, Maryland, where you know a number of us all holed up in the. Uh, in the Red Roof Inn, um, <laughs> and uh, we 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 managed to sell this. I guess is a crazy story. We managed to, so they had no budget um, for for any software. But right. what we what we managed to convince them is they they had this budget, literally a budget for paper clips. They had a budget because they had this big for digitizing initiative. So this is a crazy story. So the CEO of the CEO of the uh, the company went was on his had this big digitization initiative and literally threw out all the the printers in the company. Hmm. Um, and so they said we're going to do everything digital and we don't need paper anymore. And so as a result, they had a budget for paper clips and staples and some other things that was not being used. Hmm. And <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> and this budget was actually big enough to pay for like four months of our software. Brilliant. Um, and wow. you know that that win was enough to uh, that win was enough to have us go to cash flow break even where we didn't need any external funding anymore. And within a few months later, we actually put this competitor out of business. We literally did win wow. all of those. Yeah. It's wow. A pre- what a pre- story! Crazy yeah, story. Yeah. No, I miss those. Man, I miss those days. Uh, <laughs> But you know what? The, the thing is, Mark, is that for those people listening to this who, you know, that they're, they're early on in their early days starting a business or they're grinding, what I love about your story is that so many people would have given up 
at so many different points. Like, oh, the competition's too big. Oh, we don't have any money. We're going to go bankrupt in a week. Oh, this, you know, these people that they don't have a budget for us. There's no way we can. And every single point, you kind of say, well, hold on. Maybe there is a way. Maybe there is a way. Maybe there is a way. And that's that's pretty much the, the success in your story. It's incredible. And, yeah, and thank you. you know, in, in many cases, all you have to do to win is just survive longer. Um, right. And that, and that really is, was the case several times in Eloqua's life where, um, honestly, just being able to survive, um, you know, longer than the alternative, you know, the, the market eventually, the market demand eventually, you know, eventually came. Um, so yeah, I think that's part of the story. The, the other, yeah. the other part too is that, honestly, I had no choice, and our team had no choice, right? We, we had to make this work. I, w- I had sold literally everything I had, and I was in debt, um, probably more than you know, more more than would have been prudent. Um, I had to make this work. Like if if we were not going to be successful, uh, you know, it would have it would have been. Um, it would have been very uh, dark for me, both personally mm. and professionally. So, uh, I think that's I think that that uh, provided a, some motivation as well. Yeah. How many uh, years did you did it take to grow it to the level of where you sold it for for that amount of money? Um, it took it took twelve years mm-hmm. uh, to go from founding until the the exit. Uh, okay. Now, to to be to be sure, I wasn't actually the CEO who did sell it. So, oh, okay. uh, which is another interesting part of my my history. So, <laughs> no, I did I did take it quite a ways. Um, but uh, uh, in two thousand five, so a few years after I founded it, we started to raise money from venture capitalists, and that is a double edged sword. Mm. Um, yeah, you know. And so as a as a 32-year-old, um, at the time, 32-year-old um, uh, founder, CEO of a company that was looking like it was really scaling, uh, that's, you know, at the time, it was quite fashionable to bring in a gray-haired CEO to, to take over from there. So you wouldn't um, do that? If you were to go back, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have done that? I think I would have still raised money. I just would have been a lot more careful to protect mm-hmm. myself. Um, Mm. Although to be honest, you know, there, there's a there's that saying, you know, do you want to be rich or or do you want to be king? And I'd much rather be rich than king. Mm. Um, so I actually wasn't that upset the day when you know the board said, you know, I think it's time to bring in a more experienced CEO. Uh, I think what was more upsetting is that I didn't have as much of a role to play in mm-hmm. you know, helping to choose my successor, which I think would have been great. Um, but you know, it's, look, it's a, it's a heavy load to carry at the time. Uh, I had 165 employees we were doing 20 million in sales. Wow. I knew, I knew this could be a billion dollar business. Um, I'll admit it was, it was difficult. You know, I had offices around the world. I had a newborn child at home hmm. at the time and a, a new mortgage and, uh, it did weigh on me quite a lot. So to some degree is a relief to bring in somebody, but, uh, also I think, uh, I could have also taken it further, and the good news is I have that chance again at Influitive, and yeah. I've learned I've learned a lot um, from the mistakes I've made and some of my successes, and so it's good to be doing it again. Is Influitive basically a, I guess, a copy of what Elo- Eloqua was, or is it uh, something different? Um, it's something different, but it's very it's very much related. I, I really see it as the next level after Eloqua. So the idea mm-hmm. of Eloqua. Uh, was to be able to nurture uh, sales prospects until they were ready to have a conversation with a sales rep and to notify that sales reps when they're ready. Okay. That's the idea. And that's a big, big idea. Yes. Right? Because at the time, you, you have all kinds of people that are, um, you know, they're, they're not ready to buy yet, but you want to keep them in a nurture cycle. You want to add value to them so that when they are ready, that um, you know, sales reps know who to talk to, and that way, sales reps are not wasting their time with people who are not ready to buy. So that's actually a big—it's a big idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in, Influitive also has some of the same nurture idea, but the idea here with Influitive is that the best sales and marketing you ever do are through mobilizing your customers to do the sales and marketing for you. Right. And so that the idea of ambassadors and you know, ambassadors and advocates, I mean, these people that um, willingly invest their reputation and time 
mm-hmm. to drive referral leads and and tell their stories and do references and that sort of thing. You know, and that's become really really critical. And it's always been important, right? We've always needed those testimonials and and referrals. Right. Um, it's just now in the age of the social web, it's become uh, really critical for companies to be able to do that. And our angle on it is that by making the advocate experience great, that ambassador experience, by making it wonderful, they will reciprocate by driving more of what we want, the activity mm-hmm. that we want. So we have that same kind of nurturing feel. Um, and those ideas I've brought with me from Eloqua, uh, and we're still very much involved with driving leads and converting leads, which is what Eloqua was about too. So the results are the same, but the real estate that we occupy is completely different, right? In that, um, as opposed to nurturing prospects, we're actually nurturing advocates, which mm. we uh, believe is this is where all of marketing is going. Okay, where, where marketers are moving away from bombarding their prospects with messages that. You know, they don't necessarily want to hear. Um, instead, they are now mobilizing their proxies, these trusted people, mobilizing them to carry the messages for them. Let me uh, ask you a question, though, Mark, at this point, because I think a lot of people listening to this, and, and including myself, my, fr- my first company I started, I remember also really desperately trying to get my existing clients to refer a business because that's the quickest and easiest way to scale, Right. Because um, right. we, we all know how, how powerful a referral is because you can close that deal like 80, 90% you know, more likely than, than a cold or warm um, you know, lead. Um, but the question is, is and it rarely works. For most people, it rarely freaking works, right? Most people are just too busy building their own business. Why the hell would they care to promote yours, right? That's, that's basically it. So how have that you changed that? That is it. That is the crux of the problem. I have goosebumps as you say that Um, (laughs) because that is it. It's um, the experience of referring people is not very pleasurable, nor is the experience of, you know, writing a guest blog post or having to do a reference call, (laughs) right, which people often do out of a sense of obligation. So Mm -hmm. the question that we asked ourselves is, can we make this experience really pleasurable? Um, and the roots of, you know, the, of, of this business idea actually came from my time at Eloqua, where uh, I had a really smart venture capitalist who recommended to me that I get out of the office and understand how and why people bought my software, which I thought was a great idea. And he, his name is David Scott, and he has this incredible story called The One Day Sales Cycle, which uh, will, will turn your hair on fire. It's the most oh. exciting thing ever ever for an entrepreneur. Go to get uh, him on go my to, show. <laughs> yeah, if you go, you should, oh, David Scott is the greatest. Uh, if you go to, uh, so forentrepreneurs.com and look at the one day sales cycle, it's electrifying. So, so David told the story to me about how he sold an entire year's worth of software in one day. What? <laughs> one day. So the oh way he did God. that, oh, it's the most amazing story. Oh. And, and so the way he did it, so David Scott was, uh, was an entrepreneur, uh, sorry, was an uh, engineer by training. And so he couldn't understand why people weren't buying more of his product. So mm. he literally, he went out in the field and literally built flowcharts of all the steps that people had to go through in order to go and buy his software, um, including how they felt um, and, and recommendations, like all this stuff. And so he basically arranged all of, um, all of the key components to generate a, a, a sale and it arranged them all in one place in time. He helped this gala dinner and uh, he got everybody some champagne and he arranged, you know, advocates and prospects to sit beside each other. He even warmed them up with a comedian um, <laughs> in order to get them, you know, happier. Just yeah. everything. The, the funny story, though, is, is that the one thing he didn't do is he never he didn't have enough people like taking orders. He never thought it would be that successful. Um so, no way. you know, wow. Yeah, it was a funny story. But anyway, it was amazing. And of course, as an entrepreneur, I was completely electrified by this. And so I went out into the field to study the same thing. And there was a how and why people bought my software. And I was especially interested in the people who bought my product in like four days instead of four months. Hmm. Um, because, you know, coming out of this sort of hard scrabble, cash flow driven, you know, type of environment, um, people who bought my product right away were super important. Yeah. Um, and so what we found is that those people had advocacy just all just completely infused in their process. They often would have multiple referrals on the way in. 
they would, uh, you know, they'd go on the website and see just the right kind of case studies with people that were relevant to them. We'd mm-hmm. set them up with a reference, and, and, and that would work out very well. And so they would buy without fear, right? They, they, they started to adopt this attitude where every day that I don't buy this product is a day that costs me money. Mm. Uh, and so they had this sense of urgency that, of course, as entrepreneurs, we all wish all of our prospects had that sense of urgency. Um, so this was super exciting. And so, well, great, let's get more of this advocacy. Let's go and, let's go and do referral campaigns. And, and let's go do, let's <laughs> yeah. go beef up our reference program. And uh, just as what you said, what we found was you get this little blip of activity and you go right back down to baseline again. It was yeah. very frustrating. And then one day, just by accident, we decided to do something crazy, and we, we held these like Academy Awards for marketers, which we called the, the Marquis. It was not named after me. Uh, it was named oh. marketing. <laughs> and it was, it was cool. We hired like the same firm to, that makes the Academy Award trophies, and they made our trophies. Wow. And really neat. So we, so we had this, this event, and the, the goal was really just to elevate and celebrate our customers and the work that they were doing and just make them feel valued and, and respected. And what we found, though, to our shock and to our surprise is that we just got this deluge of advocacy. We had all these people come up to us and say, you know, I've just generated all these referrals for you. And what else can I do? And I love what you're doing. I want to be part of this movement. Um, It wasn't what we had intended. But that's really when the light bulb went off for me is that we were giving these people the recognition and social capital and, and, you know, that kind of value that they were really seeking mm-hmm. as an advocate. And they were reciprocating by giving us more of what we wanted, which was the, these advocacy activities. And so that's why I zeroed in so much on the psychology of advocates, like what and how to make it pleasurable to identify what is the mental model that the that advocates needed to have in order to maximize their output and productivity. Um, and to this day, I think that insight is really what is our uh, competitive advantage, is that we know more about advocates and how they think and what motivates them than anybody else. And we've designed a product um, around their needs, not around the needs of marketers. You know, so we have competitors and alternatives that, that build influence marketing tools, and you, know, yeah. you, you might be using them yourself, like get featured, yeah. um, and other things like that. And they're really designed for marketers. Um, ours are designed for the 99% of our users that actually don't pay us anything. And these are our customers' advocates um, who are accountants, CFOs, marketers, teachers, doctors. These are ordinary people that just have fallen in love with a company or product. And we make it much more efficient, fun, and rewarding for them to do what comes quite naturally to them, which is to advocate. And in return, they do literally five, ten times as much as they had done at their baseline. So can you give me an example just for the sake of our listeners? Let's say somebody listening to this has a, I don't know, he sells guitars online, right? Yep. And you know what, right? What were you going to say? Oh, so go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Guitars you know, online. Yeah, okay. So, you know, back in the day, you, you, you put up a website, you do a bit of SEO, pay a few Indians to get it up there and boom, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. But now, right now, and I'm talking from experience and it's really frustrating experience, right? Now, SEO is basically a nightmare. Uh, pay-per-click is overpriced and it's a whole bidding war. So, like, basically, whoever's got more money wins. And... The person listening to this who's got this e-commerce store selling guitars is really frustrated because his leads have all like basically dried up and he doesn't know how to get more leads and there's no traffic to the site. But he has a, a client base of, of previous clients that have bought from him. What would your platform help him do? What exactly would it do for him? Yeah, so what it would, what it would do is to create a, like a VIP community. So I think what, uh, what this, this fellow could do is go to his best customers and say, I've created a community, not, not for all my customers, but for the few, the, the special people who I think mm. can really contribute to this business. Not by buying more guitars, but by providing the insights um, for the insights that we need in order to grow. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to connect you with your peers. We're going to give you access to the most senior people in this company, give you access to exclusive rewards and networking opportunities, things that you wouldn't get anywhere else. In return, what we want is for you to help us build our business, you know, by, by advocating. So that's the idea of, of how you'd bring people in. And so in our, in the community, you have a bunch of different activities to do, right? So uh, advocates come in and, and then you know, they say, well, how, what, what can we do for you? Are you looking to become more famous? You know, we can help 
you write a guest blog post or do a video about uh, you know how you use our products, mm-hmm. for example. Are, are you looking to meet people? Are you looking to meet more of your peers? Are you looking to start a band? You know, we can help you with that. Wow. Um, and as they as they do those activities, they earn points and they get badges and they level up. It's just like a video game. You know, uh-huh, so we make that's it so really interesting. make it really fun. Uh, we also make it really easy and efficient. So for them to refer, for example, we um, integrate with their social network and we suggest people they may want to refer and have some uh, pre-written content. So they just have to click a button and they can send out lots of requests for referrals. Uh, so we make it easy, and then we track the progress of those referrals, so it makes it more fun. Wow. Um, so those are some of the asks and tasks. But what we've also learned is the more kind of randomly fun we make it, the better it works. So what you'll find in, in our most successful hubs is, is all kinds of interesting things, like who do you think is going to win the Super Bowl this year? Do you want to wager your points on it? Um, oh, seriously, just, that's cool. Yeah, there's, and there's lots of just fun sort of random videos um, there's a sort of a reverent spirit to a lot of, to a lot of these cause it's, it's got this sort of exclusive feel to it. It's one of the things that we've learned that drives advocacy is mm. when people feel like they're part of an exclusive club, yeah. uh, they, they, they do a lot more. Um, so we, we've, we figured out this mix of, you know, asking, asking for, well, not asking for things, but here are things that we need done. What do you find, you know, interesting here? Um, Deeper education uh, opportunities. So, in the case of guitars, there's, you know, here's here's some stuff that you, you know, here's some great things on Spanish classic guitar playing you may not know about, and, and that sort of thing. Um, and uh, but then also these fun kind of random types of challenges. So, how um, much time would would someone expect to have to spend doing all this? Because people, you know, they're running a business, and obviously, they've got. You know, they've got tons of other things to do. How much time does this actually take? Yeah, it takes on average about four to six hours a week. Um, and okay. not, so this, not of a, you know, the proprietor generally wouldn't be doing this other than maybe recording a secret video that, you right. know, for 10,000 points, you could see some secret video of the CEO. Hmm. Um, but generally, <laughs> it's, a junior, it's a junior marketer uh, between sort of tw- 25 and 30 years old. Uh, they, they're often... Uh, an event marketer or social marketer, sort of a young, bubbly type, that someone who really enjoys uh, customers. Uh, yeah. And not not all not all marketers do, but they enjoy building relationships with customers. Um, and those are typically who we who we work with. And and often for our customers, they have you know they have these people doing this stuff anyway. Like their job yeah. is to get referrals and and get five star reviews online and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. We just help them do that a lot more efficiently. Right. So what 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 might have taken them before several days, we can, you know, they can do in very short period of time, you know, using our product. Incredible. And how much does this cost? Uh, it it ranges it's the price depends on how many active advocates you have. So we if you have a lot more advocates then you'll you'll pay more than if you have less. Mm-hmm. Um, but the price ranges between about two thousand dollars a month and ten thousand dollars a month. Our, our average customer pays us about forty thousand dollars a year uh, today. Wow. And for nice. and for that they'll generate yeah, those you know, we generate literally millions or sometimes tens of millions of dollars in Jeez. in value in terms of the content created, leads generated um, yeah, no, that's, it's, uh, this is, we, when you get it going, this is a really valuable program. And as you said, a lot of other marketing programs are dying, right? From SEO to email marketing, like mm. nobody's, people just don't like being interrupted anymore. <laughs> they want to talk, they want to talk to their peers. Yeah. So I don't see in, in the next few years, like looking out 10 years from now, I just don't see how you're going to be able to build a business without focusing on advocates, First, you have to delight customers to have advocates in the first place, mm-hmm. and then you've got to figure out how to mobilize them. And if you don't do that, your competitors who are able to do that are just able to grow so much faster and so much more efficiently. So mm. I think it's an imperative. I think every company has to – they don't have to use necessarily our product, but they need to be thinking about you know, how many advocates do we have in this business, and how do we get more of them, uh, and how do we get them doing more for us? I think everybody should be thinking about that today. That's incredible. And, and what's really powerful about it as well is that you could spend $2,000 a month on, let's say, Facebook ads or whatever, pay-per-click. And once the money's gone, it's, it's gone. Like there's, That's it, done. But with your platform, if, you, if you're able to get you know, a couple of new ambassadors um, to, your, um, to, to start really <clears throat> talking about your product and sending referrals, you know, they're going to be potentially ambassadors for life. And so the 2000 bucks you spend this month actually you know pays for 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 a lifetime supply of 
referrals, which is incredible. You yeah, know? no, I think you got that right. It really is like an annuity. And that's one of the things, one of the properties of advocates that we found is fascinating is it's really a use it or lose it uh, property. So the more you use the use advocates and, in the, and especially in the more varied ways you use them, the more they enjoy being part of the part of your club. Right. right? So if, if you just ask people for referrals all the time, eventually they feel used and they're not very happy. Hmm. But if you also say, uh, I have this idea for a new marketing campaign. We want your thoughts on it. That's something that people. That's cool. I want to do that. Or there's, hey, we're doing a webinar. We're looking for hosts. Are you know, are you interested in becoming a co-host with us? Um, so as you do more different kinds of activities, people actually enjoy the experience more, and then we find they give a lot more referrals. Um, they might wow. even give twenty or thirty referrals over a weekend because they're just so, um, they're so excited to be part of your club, and they really feel that they're moving the meter that they feel their impact they're making on your, your company. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully they're getting some social capital from what they're doing. Um, those, that's actually our, our three-part model for it motivates advocates uh, that, uh, you know, the part of an exclusive tribe that they can feel they move the meter and that they get social capital. And, and that's where, you know, they really identify with your brand. I mean, the same way that people at a sporting event, uh, sometimes they paint their faces um, <laughs> yeah. and, and they, do, they do crazy things. Well, why do they do that, right? Well, they do that because they feel like that that sports team is part of their identity. Yeah. Um, and so they're essentially advocating for that team, and they paint themselves in the colors and, you know, all that sort of thing. And so um, you're right. It's absolutely an duty that keeps paying as you deepen these relationships with advocates over time. Um, and, you know, we have advocates in our business that literally are worth millions of dollars a year um, wow. because of, you know, how much that they – how much they do for us. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's some of the best investment you can make is in building a community of your best customers mm-hmm. um, and uh, really maintain and nurture those relationships over time. It really pays off. You also uh, recently launched something called Upshot.com. Is that right? Uh, yeah, Upshot a, a, is a neat, it's a neat new product that we've created. It is actually... Um, uh, it was created via a Skunk Works uh, type of operation. Sorry? Uh, so I, don't know if, I don't know if you know what a Skunk Works is. But, <laughs> skunk sounds uh, stinky. No, yeah, I know the sounds animal. Kind of, sounds, sounds kind of stinky. Um, yeah, sounds kind of but, stinky. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it isn't. I, I think it originally comes from, I think it was Lockheed Martin. I think they they had um, one of their warehouses was called the Skunk Works or something. And, and the, 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 idea, the idea of a Skunk Works is that you, you create a team that goes completely off-site with a crazy mission mm-hmm. uh, for them and essentially to create the next best product, you know, the next great product, but not be hampered by um, activities at the head office. Hmm, interesting. Um, okay. So, so we did that. So our, so our mission here was, can we create a 10 times better, faster, cheaper way uh, for people to advocate? Uh, because as you kind of alluded to our core product advocate hub, and it's a great product. It does require time and effort to be used. It does require a program administrator, a community manager to Mm -hmm. build and nurture this community. Um, And that works great for some people, but we had a lot of companies that said, do you have something that just works out of the box that I don't need to put any effort into? Mm. And so what we created in Upshot was a way uh, to automatically scan a customer base, look for people who were uh, targeted um, advocates, the right kind of uh, people who want to tell a story, and uh, and then would um, send a message to that person, say, "Hey, are, you know, do you have a story to tell about this this part of our narrative?" And if they did, we would s- set them up with a professional interviewer. Um, we would we would interview that person, write a story, publish it, and publicize it. And our customer has to do absolutely no work. Hmm. Uh, and it's really taking off. It's growing very quickly. Wow. Um, and uh, the reason why it works so well, first of all, these stories are really different from your typical case studies that, you know, frankly, are a little boring, right? You've probably seen it on a website. <laughs> yep. Here's a situation. Here's what you did different. Um, it's really very corporate, um, whereas these stories are completely different. They're very Hollywood-esque. It puts the advocate as the hero in the center of the story, a mm-hmm. uh, lot more personal and authentic than, than your typical story is. So, so the product's a lot more effective. And, you know, these days we live in a much more, like, people want authenticity, yeah. Um, they, they don't want to hear the corporate story. So it tends to be a lot more effective. 
Um, they're a lot more on narrative, and the stories solve a key objection that uh, sales reps have in, in selling more. So mm-hmm. I think it's another reason it makes it more effective. And again, the third thing is we do this all automatically where a customer doesn't have to do really any work. So wow. um, so very excited about, about Upshot. And uh, it's also kind of cool the way it was created. Like basically our head office is in Toronto. We, we, we hired a, you know, brought a, ti- a tiger team out in San Francisco where they could really be in a, um, a really uh, kind of crazy high-tech environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and within, you know, within a few months, they, you know, they went through a couple dozen prototypes of different things that they could build. And, and this is one that the, uh, that they zeroed in on. So I'm, I'm okay. a big fan of that approach after a certain size, like even at 150 people, you know, the, uh, it can be difficult to truly innovate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, know, you, sure. you, tend, you tend to do, uh, evolutionary rather than, you know, rather than revolutionary types of, uh, innovation. Cool. So um, up, it's upshot.com. So for those listening, if you want to check that out, um, you could check out the links as well as all the resources that we, we mentioned in the episode um, as well. And you could find that at danielgeffen.com forward slash 72. That's danielgeffen.com forward slash 72. Uh, Mark, what's the best way my listeners can get in touch with you? Uh, that's a good question. Um, Social well, media? Yeah, so I've got a you know I've got Twitter handle at, at Mark Oregon, all one word. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, social media is a uh, is a good one. I'm not I'm not great on email, but I'm Mark at Influitive.com, and I'll uh, I'll try to I'll try to get to all your questions um, uh, if I can. But I do get a lot of email. But uh, cool. Well, another way, if if you don't mind, I mean, I've got a Facebook group called Can I Pick Your Brain, where a lot of the listeners. Uh, they, they, they're part of that group and then I have my guests join the group so if they want to pick your brain in the group are you open to that Mark? That sounds awesome yeah I'll, yeah. I'll totally join that so give me an invitation to that group I'll, uh, I'll be in there alright cool and for those listening that, that are not in the group then uh, you, you need to get in the group so just go into Facebook and type in can I pick your brain and you'll find the group and I'll approve you and um we know mark this has been absolutely incredible uh thank you so much for letting me pick your brain thank you to my fellow brain pickers i'm looking forward to the day when i'll be picking you've been listening to the can i pick your brain podcast inspiration without perspiration is like a tiger without teeth so to put these ideas into action head over to danielgeffen.com